we would be honored if you would join us. All right, everyone. Welcome to another episode of Dental Crawlers, where we have fallen face first into the biggest, largest, giant pile of sand ever. It's 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 amazing. It's like the Sahara Desert, but worse. Tattooing. It's not Tatooine. We are not talking about Star Wars. That is, we are not. So if you're going there, you are in the wrong universe. <laughs> that is completely the wrong place. We are going to the wonderful planet of Ariakis, or Ariakis, however you want to pronounce it. That's where Arrakis. we're going. Ariakis. You know, tomatoes, tomatoes. It, it's, it's all dirt from here. Anyways, spice melange, whatever. Yes, anyways. So for those of you that want a little bit of extra spice in your episode of Dungeon Crawlers, well, here it is. We're going to be talking about Dune. You know, there, there, there are many interpretations of this, of this series. You know, you have uh, the great book series that's out there. You have the old classic movies um, that most of us have seen. Uh, you know, starring Patrick Stewart and staying and a bunch of other uh, wonderful actors. Uh, there was a well-attempted miniseries on the Sci-Fi Channel that just we'll <laughs> leave it there. We'll leave it there. And now there so is th- there is the new movies that are coming out, which are exciting. It has a, an amazing cast, and we will talk about this series since we've talked about other series. Uh, it, it's time to give this series a little bit of attention and some love. So uh, we will turn it over to Alton to manipulate and control your minds uh, through this discussion. Ah, uh, yes, gentlemen, the spice indeed must flow. And uh, unfortunately, uh, Dan and Krebs reached out to me and they're like, hey, you should you should do this this evening because I did some tactful social manipulation. But alas, I have... Something of a, an embarrassing stain to admit, but hopefully you've never uh, seen this series ho- ever, ho- have you? Hopefully, this will lead to a very interesting conversation because the topic that I would like to discuss today is Dune for the uninitiated, because I have literally never consumed a piece of Dune media or lore or anything in my life. Literally, the extent of it is I know the spice must flow, and it's only because, admittedly, I may or may not have accidentally mixed it up with a quote from Skyrim once. So, <laughs> this is how we're going to get started. The question that I need to ask is, let's go all the way back to the beginning. Where did Dune come from, and why were those books so impactful to so many people? So, Dune is a novel written by author Frank Herbert, and actually, I found it, because I'm a child of the 80s and 90s, I I was surprised to find out that Dune was originally published in 1965 so here's a book that was written in the mid 60s uh and actually as dan well knows as an author chances are he didn't start writing it in the 60s chances are he started writing it at at least in the early 60s maybe the late 50s maybe even before that and eventually he got a finished manuscript by the mid 1960s so dune is a sci-fi novel uh that is an incredibly well thought out very Per, um, let me let me rephrase. Uh, so so before you jump into that, he started yeah, writing it in nineteen fifty nine. Nineteen fifty nine. Thank you for for verifying that. Uh, started writing it in nineteen fifty nine. Published nineteen sixty five. It is an elaborate but 
what's the word I'm looking for? Deliberate. It is a deliberate piece of literature. Incredibly well thought out, devised, plotted, and designed. It is it is extravagant without being overly um, loquacious. You know, it's it is uh, the book itself comes in at somewhere between depending on what version you get, like what printing you get, right? Because you've got trade paperback, you've got hardback, you've got 1965 printing, you've got 1980s printing, 1990s printing. You know, they've they've reprinted this book so many times, and it always comes in between about 400 and 450 pages. So it's not a slouch of a novel, but it's also not War and Peace. So what makes this novel so excellent? It has details of politics without being pedantic or overwhelming. It has all of the value of sci-fi without many of the tropes of sci-fi. And immediately you have, again, I have to use the word deliberate. You have deliberately designed characters, all of which there is some aspect that you can either empathize with or you can maybe not identify with, but you can at least understand what that thing is. The Baron Harkonnen uh, is, is lust and avarice and greed, you know, just all forms of greed. And, uh, Duke Leto is um, well-intentioned, if not slightly hubristic, leadership. Paul is naivete and excitement and enthusiasm, but destiny. You know, things like that. So extremely, extremely strong characters with extremely strong backgrounds, but all of them intentionally placed. And um, uh, so so I can definitely get that. So help me understand kind of the the overarching story here because you're mentioning characters you're mentioning politics you're mentioning space i am fan of most of those things uh so help me understand like what is it about dune that enraptures the imagination because i've had a lot of people say that they hate the books but they love the universe you know i've actually heard a a lot of oh go ahead go ahead dan go ahead i was i was just gonna say before i mean the the thing that really captures a lot of people's uh attention you know yes the the books are difficult it's like tolkien going back and reading tolkien it's there's a very specific style there's a very specific dialogue or pattern in the writing it, it's it's older writing it, you know it, it moves slower it's not quick paced like uh, the writing we're used to now mm-hmm. um there's a lot more description in it but what captures the imagination in my mind for this universe is you have this vast technology. They've got ships. They've got laser guns. They've got, uh, not only do they have armor, but they have uh, energy manipulation shields. And, you know, the Baron floats around. He's got hover hover technology. But at the same time, there is this barbaric nature that is under, that underlines everything. You know how how cruel and barbaric they are. Even though they have this technology, they're still you know they're still the kingdoms that are plotting to take over the other kingdoms. And uh, you know they're they're spies. There's assassins. There's all these things that you see in a traditional fantasy novel, but it's still science fiction. And then you add on this 
this group of individuals that are living out in the desert, that are thriving out in the desert. And it makes no sense because they're not really living off this technology. They should be dead, and yet they're not. And then the story starts unfolding, and you start this. It's, it's, it's like Christmas. You know, you run out there, you have the box, it's wrapped up in paper, and you, you slowly, ha you, you're taking your time trying to unwrap this to get this gift. And that's how kind of I felt like the books evolved. You know, you're getting to this gift. It's trapped inside this. And, you know, your parents wrapped several different boxes and stuffed them in other boxes. So you're going through layer after layer after layer. <laughs> and then when you get the gift, the payoff is so beautiful and spectacular. And the way it's written, you're learning it and you're opening this gift along with Paul as he is doing that. And he is discovering the, all these different truths and lies. And it's just, it really is a fantastic universe. And it's, I would really love to uh, run a game in that universe because it has all the wonderful components of a story, the harshness, the brutality, the brutality barbarism the fun science fiction nature of it you know because you're, you're kind of getting a mixture of a little bit of everything in this universe and again I, I struggle with the books but that movie the original movie was amazing it really opened my eyes to this world hmm. forget about uh, forget about the miniseries yeah, we'll we'll get there. We'll jump off that bridge when we get there. But um, let let me just roll back for a second. So the question was, uh, give us like a synopsis of the story, right? Yes. Yeah. So so it was that it was that two part is what what enraptures and give us a synopsis of the story because I want to understand what is it that's that's sunk its teeth into everybody. Dan hit the nail on the head with with what's so enrapturing about it, and uh, the story is, and I'm I'm going to tell you the story of the first book because. There are six Dune novels. If yes. you only read one, read the first. You can ignore the other five and still get so much value out of the first book. Um, if you want to read the others, great. But the first book is a must. Uh, there is the, – the galaxy is split up into – uh, Landstrads, the or the Landstrad is the collective, right? So every planet is effectively its own kingdom. Instead of dealing with countries and land masses, we're dealing with planetoids. And you have the uh, Galactic Emperor who sits at the top of the Landstrad, uh, and who is um, is trying to, of course, keep the peace, trying to manage every aspect, every aspect of of government that you could imagine. Uh, intraplanetary, he is governing uh, extraplanetary. He's out in the in the universe doing this. And he's also conniving, controlling, and he wants to make sure that he remains emperor. Along the entire Landstrad, there are these two families, the the house Leto and the house Harkonnen. And they are, it's very much like Capulets and Montagues in a way. They are sworn enemies they hate each other and they are both very powerful houses for different reasons there is a singular planet called arrakis on which there is a very special mineral that is produced it is the only place in the universe that produces this mineral the mineral is called melange also known as spice spice is used for several 
important things. One of them is uh, there's an alien race that by consuming the spice or using the spice, they can fold space, bringing any two points in the universe together, thus uh, creating inter, uh, you know, intra, I guess, galactic travel, right? You have, you have travel from planet to planet. Instead of taking years and years and years at light speed at warp, they can fold space and bring those two points temporarily together, thus allowing you to travel instantly to some distant location. It makes them a must-have uh, throughout the universe. Uh, and they have to have spice to do that. The other thing that spice can do is that it heightens your mind, your senses, your capabilities. It makes you superhuman in a way. Uh, consider the fact that this book was written in the 60s and LSD was the wonder drug, right? So, <laughs> but that's another story. Uh, so spice uh, grants you uh, extra human capabilities, meaning outside of human capabilities, but it also allows you to fold space. It is the most important commodity in the universe and only one planet produces this, and that's Arrakis. Uh, the emperor comes up with a plan with the help of one of the navigator aliens uh, so that they can fold space and bring people where they need to be. Uh, he intends, because he sees that the house Leto is the one that is closest to threatening his own power, Duke Leto stands a great chance of becoming the new emperor if things keep going the way they're going. So the emperor creates a plan where he will give the Litos Arrakis as their new planet, but which is a very harsh environment, and that's going to challenge and weaken them in many ways. However, unbeknownst to the Litos, he is going to get the Harkonnens, and he's going to bring the massive military might. That's what the strength of the Harkonnens is. He's going to bring the massive military might of the Harkonnens to Arrakis, and ambush the, the house of Leto. The two will war with each other. One will destroy the other. The victor will be weakened and the emperor will, re will remain emperor. That's his plan. But what he, what he fails to consider is that in the house of Leto, many important things have happened. There is this prophecy that speaks of a superhuman, an ultimate human known as the Kwisatz Heterach. And certain things have fallen into place over time where... Uh, Paul Atreides, the son of Duke Leto, might very well be this superhuman. Only Paul doesn't know it, the Duke doesn't know it, and the Emperor doesn't know it. Events occur, Paul rises to power, and spoilers everyone, spoilers, he is the Kwisatz Heterach. It is a brilliant story filled with politics, with science, and science fiction as well, and a little bit of mysticism and magic. Uh, it was written in 1965, long before Star Wars, and you can draw parallels between those stories. You know, the hero's journey and and mysticism and faith and belief and all that. But there's, you know, um, Star Wars, we could talk about how the Force originally was predicated on faith and belief and trust. Uh, in Dune, the number one power in terms of, of just the power of the human is the mind. They have these wonderful mantras in the book, and you can hear some of that in the new trailer for the new film. Uh, but the power of the mind is superior to all power, and that is sort of a thread throughout the novel. Uh, that is sort of in a nutshell, if I can, or maybe it's a watermelon shell given how long I took. Uh, that is the basic story wrapped up. Okay. So you've definitely piqued my curiosity. This is something that I'm definitely going to be reading before the film comes out. Uh, however, let's assume that maybe I start to run out of time. And I need to consume other media to try to get all that rich, meaty goodness uh, before 
I try to delve too deep. Um, I uh, we we have heard rumors of an elusive attempt at producing some types of media, uh, some of which are well mentioned and some of which are quietly brushed under the rug. <laughs> so help me to understand then what are some of the incarnations of that book that have since come out that have helped to shape the public understanding of what Dune is, where do they succeed and where do they fail? Uh, if you don't mind me running with this one, Dan, Go ahead. Um, the 1984 David Lynch version of the film is the number one instant resource, if you will, to watch. I believe it's actually available for free on prime right now. That will probably change given that the new film is coming out and thus this is going to become a popular title again. Uh, but the 1984 film by David Lynch has an, inc it has a very interesting story behind the scenes, but if you're running out of time, you want to get exposure to the original story before you go see the new film. Then that version, the 1984 version, which stars uh, Kyle MacLachlan, and um, it, it, it has an all-star cast, by the way, an all-star cast between American actors and mostly British actors. It has Francesca Onis, uh, Brad Dourif. Brad Dourif uh, plays Grima Wormtongue in the Lord of the Rings films. He's the voice of Chucky. Um, it has Linda Hunt, who might as well be the physical inspiration for Edna Mode in The Incredibles. It has Freddie Jones. Um, it has uh, Virginia Madsen. It, there is this huge – if you looked at the list of the people in this film, you will recognize no less than 10 of them because it, they're just those people. Uh, Jürgen Proschnow, uh, who was very, a very famous um, uh, Eastern European actor – in the 80s. He did Das Boot and uh, Dune and a few other films. Uh, he plays Duke Leto and um, well, I, I kept saying House Leto. It's actually House Atreides. Excuse me. I'm, I misspoke several times. Uh, Duke Leto Atreides. So it's the House Atreides and the House Arconan. Okay, back to this. The 1984 <laughs> film Shame is, on you. Shame. I know. Right? Now I'm completely Shame. confused. I was Can we start like, over? <laughs> I was like, Leto, it's Atreides. What the? Yeah, but I just let you run with it because thank you. Like, I appreciate okay, maybe that. He, maybe he knows something I don't, but yeah, no, no, no. I was, I was misspeaking. It is Duke Leto, but it, his last name is Atreides. Okay. Uh, the 1984 film is the film to watch. What I love about this film is that even though it's not absolutely every single detail that was in the book, everything that's in the movie is in the book. In fact, almost all of the dialogue is word for word directly from the book. Hmm. Uh, which is a very rare thing to find. I've had, I, I when when we get to talking about the miniseries, which you should not watch. No, don't uh, jump ahead. Don't jump ahead. I'm not going to jump ahead. I'm not going to jump ahead. But when we do, I'll come back to this point later. Okay. But the point is, uh, the David Lynch version is an incredibly faithful rendition of the book. The only the, the biggest difference in the movie to the book is the way that um, the desert still suits the the special clothing that they wear that allows them to survive long periods of time in the desert. Uh, in the movie, it is vastly different than the way it's described in the book, but the way it's done in the movie physically makes more sense and is super cool looking. So I'm not gonna I'm not gonna knock it. Um, but that was like the biggest difference was the still suits were different, and the rest of the movie is directly from the book. So with that being the case, I, I'm a lazy person. I don't, I don't have an hour, two hours, three hours to sit down and watch a film. It's, I just want to, you know, turn on something episodic. So, uh, Dan, 
pitch me this fabled miniseries that gets people so hot under the collar. I'm pitching it to you. Utter trash. That's right. Dan's right. Dan's right. Uh, um, it, it, it was like someone decided, hey, I'm going to rewrite this movie. Yeah, okay, let, let's rewind. You know, Peter Jackson took The Hobbit, made it into three movies. Ugh. Okay? The Hobbit is the shortest book, period, the end. Granted, he used a little bit of stuff from the Cimmerillion, there and back again, and a bunch of other stuff to extend it. I'm doing the kind of thing that doesn't I know. show up I, in so audio, I. but I know, kind of. <laughs> it's they they did the same thing here. They took one book and they're like, "We're going to make a mini series out of this." Because to be fair, a two-hour movie wasn't really enough time to go through all of the stories within the book they did a good job at doing it justice but like any movie any book translating to movie there's stuff that's cut out there's stuff that doesn't work and so they do their best i feel like with the miniseries they're like let's put everything in there but we're gonna make it our version not the book (laughs) yep and it just it became a complete and total mess that doesn't flow well. It doesn't portray the story in a way that would make you want to continue seeing more. You know, yeah. um, I remember because I remember seeing the movie and I remember sitting down to watching the miniseries and like, is what am I watching? This doesn't feel like the same story. Um, and and I get that people probably came into that with a different perspective because they hadn't seen the movie before and they're like, okay, well, this is interesting. Or maybe they do like it. Um, but going from the reading the book, seeing the original movie, that miniseries just felt like a giant trash fire. So Uh, I, I absolutely agree. So here's the critical question, and we've got it. We got to do the uh, the litmus test here. Okay. okay. Uh, um, better or worse than the Artemis Fowl film? I like the Artemis Fowl film. Th- therefore, based That's another solely episode on that we'll one get there. on that one review that you just heard from Dan, based solely on that, <laughs> Artemis Fowl is better than the Dune miniseries. Okay. Uh, um, second one. Okay, well, let me let me let me quantify that one because that wasn't okay. fair because I actually like that show, but at the same time I haven't read the Artemis Fowl book, so um, if I were oh, to Dan, quantify you, this, here's the thing: I know you're an adult. I know that Artemis Fowl is theoretically teen fiction, but you've got to read the books, and then you'll understand my outrage. Okay, well, I'm with you on this I, one, buddy. I can do that. Okay, so what can I quantify this as? All right. I would rather watch Titanic over and over for two days straight than watch that miniseries again. Amen. Amen. Okay, so here's here's the second litmus test for me. Okay. Better or worse than The Last Airbender? Ooh. I'm gonna have to go with worse than the last Airbender, and I, I didn't like I that agree. movie. 
I did not like it either. You know, wow. the thing the thing about Last Airbender, I, I I think that's a great litmus test because just like Dan said, in in both cases of Last Airbender and Dune the miniseries, they both tried to tell a beloved story their own way in an attempt to give it some new life and, and new failed. uniqueness. And both of them did a poor job, just just an awful job of um of doing that in a way that was true to the story mm. and uh met the needs of the fans right uh neither neither of those things lived up to that of those two things though if i had to if i had to watch the miniseries three times or if i had to watch last airbender an equivalent amount of time i would watch last airbender over and over and over again uh because the thing about about the Dune miniseries, uh, I think the best way to describe it is pretentious. Mm -hmm. You 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 have um, they tried to make it almost like high sci-fi art. In doing so, they changed nearly everything. It was almost the exact inverse of the of the 1984 film, in that the only thing that was accurate in the miniseries was the still suits. The yeah. still suits were like they were in the book. They were the way that the book described them was how they appeared in the in the in the miniseries. But um, the book talks about the weirding way, which is both a mental and physical discipline and a way of fighting. They have the weirding module, which is a physical weapon that translates sound into kinetic force. Well, in the in the miniseries, they got rid of the mechanical aspect entirely. They kept the weirding way as a martial art. It was it was cool the way they did the martial arts. It was cool. It was it was you know eye candy in that way. But they got rid of the weaponry, which plays a massively important part mm -hmm. in the thread of the story. The weirding modules make a difference, and they got rid of it entirely. Instead, for just like um, martial arts discipline and things like that, they did this thing with the Baron Harkonnen, where the Baron is a fabulous character in the book yes. just incredible especially at the time that it was written with hints of homosexual incestuous attraction to his own nephew but the way that they handled it and the way that they hinted at it to add intrigue was brilliant and the way that they portrayed it in the miniseries they decided i'm a huge shakespeare fan i love shakespeare i don't know if you know that about me huge shakespeare fan they took the moments at the end of each sort of act or major scene that involved the Baron and they forced him to speak in rhyming couplets a la Shakespeare style. Like it was even iambic pentameter, if I remember correctly. Yeah. And, and they were just God awful. They were oh. just the worst. And it was, it was just highly pretentious and it was, it was garbage. So I would watch last airbender for, 10 hours, then well, watch the miniseries. Well, the miniseries, by taking out the, you know, the, the sound psionics uh, weapons, you know, it's, it's a lot like what they did with the Aragon movie with the Varden. They oh, took yeah. away the dwarves and the elves. You have no way to create a second book. That is the main uh, por portion of the second book. And that's what they did. They took away well, a key element in their story development by right. doing that and that's why it's it's it is trash because it it would literally be like okay let's do star wars but we're taking out the force oh and we're taking out lightsabers yeah i was gonna say it's like taking away lightsabers it's you you can't have 
the mythos of Star Wars and the emblems of the Jedi Order Mm-hmm. remove and and remove those you can't separate those two things from each other you can have star wars stories that don't have to do with jedi that's fine but you can't remove them from the universe and still have star wars yeah hmm. well gentlemen you have successfully both intrigued me and and uh, spurred me on to read the books and uh successfully scared me away from uh watching the miniseries uh good your time is, matters uh, to me <laughs> I mean, you could watch it if you really want to, but by the end, you'll be like, wow. By the end of the first episode. Yeah, yeah, that's that's what I'm gathering. Okay, so we have the original books. We have the 1984 film. We have the sci-fi miniseries. Um, what other representations in media uh, are you folks aware of, and how have they held up? You know, um, in terms of representations in media, I don't know if I've really... I. I think the nature of the book and the quality of the original film in the 80s set such a standard and a precedent that it became dangerous territory to muck with. Mm. Um, But I will say that I do believe I've seen Dune's influence in several places. For example, uh, this is going to be lost on on you, I think, Alton. Maybe, maybe, maybe you can correct me on this. But there was um, there was a I want to say it was an anime series as well as a comic book series. And it was definitely toys called Zoids, Z-O-I-D-S. Yeah, I know Zoids. OK, cool, cool. I'm glad that you know that. OK, uh, the the sandworms, which are iconic creatures in the book and in the film, um, there are Zoid representations that are eerily sandworm like in uh, in the Zoid universe. Uh, sandworms post Dune became a wonderful, terrifying, magnificent creature. Uh, we, we see them in Beetlejuice to a degree, right? We see them in the movie Tremors. Uh, we the Sarlacc, the Sarlacc in in Return of the Jedi, is very much like a sandworm. And so, uh, the first time sandworms made their big appearance, 1965 in Dune. Hmm. Okay. I can dig it. Now, have either of you played the original board game, the Fantasy Flight board game, or the re-release board game that have come out? Uh, Negative to all of those. I've never played any of the board games. Dan? Dan actually just disappeared, so we're going to cut out this magical 45 seconds. We'll cut out this. Yeah. Or we'll leave it in and everybody will be like, wow, what just happened? What the heck happened there? There we go. Don't Don't know how we lost you there, bud. That's okay. We'll, we'll we'll cut this middle segment out. Ready and go. Dan didn't hear your question, Krebs. Oh, sorry. I did not. I didn't hear any questions. I have not played any of the board games. Not not the one from from the eighties. Not the more recent ones. Uh, Dan, have you played any of the board games for Dune? I have not played any of the board games. I mean, there's there's a lot of stuff. So Avalon Hill uh, put one out, a board game in '79, and then Parker Brothers did another one in '84. There's actually a Dune card game that was released in 97. That's a good year. Uh, in 2000, they released the Dune Chronicles of the Imperium. It's a role-playing game. Mm-hmm. Uh, there are actually uh, five video games. Dune was released in 1992. Dune 2 was the same year. Dune 2000 was released in 1998. Emperor Battle for Dune was in 2001, and Frank Herbert's Dune was in 2001 as well. Um, 
I do want to jump in. I want to jump in on that one. Uh, I do have comic books and graphic novels as well. There's actually a new graphic novel coming out this year. Uh, I do have Dune for Sega CD. Nice. And I and I have played that. That was very enjoyable game. Is is that a sufficient way for me to understand what I need to know about the Dune? The hmm. (laughs) no. That's a good question. No. Um, I the the best the best way the best way to understand the Dune universe is the '84 film. There is no single piece of media, video game, literature, anything else that you can consume quickly that will give you the uh, enough understanding of the universe of Dune outside of the film. If you have the time to read the book, the book is of course the 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 default go to. But short of the book, if you if you can't do the book, if you have to play like a game or if you have to watch a movie or or some other piece of media, the 84 film, that's where the buck stops. There is nothing superior to it. Now, I will say there is an extended version of the 84 film. There is a much longer uh, Dune film. And the interesting thing is that the the film was originally directed by David Lynch. If you don't know who David Lynch is. You have to imagine, let's see, what's the best way to describe this? Imagine if you took every personality quirk from every Muppet you know of, including those from Dark Crystal, and you rolled them into a human cigarette. That is David Lynch. He is the quirkiest, oddest human being on this planet. He is the one behind Twin Peaks. He is the he is the one behind uh, films like Lost Highway, and um, oh, there was a film about the Black Dahlia, and I can't remember what it's called, Blue Velvet, maybe. Uh, anyway, he did a number of films, but the problem is, the more films he made, the less sense they began to make. They became so symbolic and so art housey that there was like it, it became they became almost impossible to follow. Uh, But in his early days, he made Dune. The producers and writers and such, they wanted to expand on the story because the book had so much detail and blah, 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 blah. And they wanted to expand the film. He did not want to do this. The only way they could expand the film was they had to get very high quality paintings and drawings done uh, of certain scenes. They kept some of the uh, cut scenes from the the editing floor, editing, editing room floor. They took all those things, combined them and made an extended edition. Uh, David Lynch was furious about this. He hated it. He thought it was the worst version of the movie. So they, he, he had his name pulled off and it became an Alan Smithy film. If you don't know who Alan Smithy is, Alan Smithy is a fake person, not a real person who is given the credit for any film where the director does not want credit. Alan Smithy has made more movies than any director in Hollywood history. And one of them is doing the extended edition. The end. Uh, so the other uh, the other thing that I that I will say, and this is one of the reasons that I know I am uh, conceptually interested in Dune anyway, in terms of games, is uh, Twilight Imperium, fantastic game, designed Ooh. by uh, Christian Peterson, very smart guy. Uh, ended up founding Fantasy Flight Games because he was good at what he did, and Twilight Imperium made him a lot of money there. Um, uh, <laughs> but uh, that was, I, if I'm remembering my uh, uh, trivia correctly, uh, 
based upon the concept of doom. And then he uh, released a game called Twilight Imperium Rex, which utilized the design that Fantasy Flight put out for the Dune, or that Fantasy Flight owned for the Dune board game, um, but reskinned it into Twilight Imperium to help clean things up for people who had not read that. So because of that, I have some very interesting uh, or, or interested uh, pieces of my brain that are peaked. And so okay. I'm definitely going to be looking into it there. Um, but, you know, uh, the, the internet and the world right now is, is a place of sound bites, of snippets, of catchy mm-hmm. phrases and memes and things that need to be remembered. Um, and so I want to put out some, some terms, uh, some of which I've actually heard and some of which I'm just going to pull off of the uh, Wikipedia page. And I need you guys to help explain them to me contextually and tell me on a scale of one to ten how important they are for me to know in order to uh, be accepted among the members of the Dune franchise. Not necessarily top tier elite, let me into the back room, but you know, just enough that if I'm sitting at a table with other Dune people, I should understand them so that I can participate in the conversation. I like it. So the first and most common. Everybody should not be surprised by this is the spice must flow on a scale of one to 10. How important is it to know about? And then give me some context as to where that comes from. You know, the spice must flow. Uh, that is in connection with the profound statement by Baron Harkonnen. He who controls the spice controls the galaxy. And it goes back to what I said earlier about how spice is the most important commodity. It expands the mind. It folds. The, it folds space. It makes it the impossible possible. Therefore, the spice must flow has to do with uh, the needs of the people and who controls the power. Hmm. Okay. Okay. Seems pretty vital. Uh, so. Continuing on, we, we uh, another one that, that came up as you were talking about the story, and particularly as you're talking about the things that uh, were done correctly and incorrectly, is the weirding way, um, which you did already touch on very briefly earlier, but help me understand, uh, again, put it contextually for somebody who maybe has never heard the term before. Uh, the weirding way refers to uh, a form of combat, but it also refers to technology that enhances combat. And so the weirding way, I love that you use that word because when you look at Shakespeare and you talk about the weird sisters, the word weird used to refer to witchcraft and sorcery. And in the universe of Dune, you do have witches and powerful women. I think it's one of the things that is really appealing about Dune is that there is an entire sect of women of mysterious power who are feared and revered and are sought counsel of, but they also have the power to dominate. It is incredibly empowering for, uh, the, the book has empowered women and, um, uh, the weirding way is sort of an extension of that where it's this it's this form of combat and it's this technology that enhances combat. Um, and that's probably the best way I could describe it. I don't think I can go into too much more detail past that. No, I think it, that's perfect the way you described it because, uh, and that's something else that's really amazing about uh, this book series is, you know, considering when it was written, 
back then, especially in science fiction, women were normally portrayed as the damsel in distress. We were slowly starting to move away from that, but that was their role. And you have some very powerful women in here in, in the series, uh, which I really like, and it's fantastic. And you know the the thought or uh, of sorcery or manipulation or power from these women was really well done. And I, I that's definitely something that comes out in the story. Uh, yes, with the weirding way in that. Cool. Um, now, one that you referred to in shorthand earlier, but I'm going to give the longer uh, is Guild Navigator. Yes, the uh, spacing guild, the 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 guild of aliens who are capable of folding space. Yes. Cool. And uh, as I as I understand here, uh, deeply educated as I am reading off of Wikipedia, um, they they are specifically melange, which is spice mutated humans. Uh, that uh, they are not oh, necessarily right. a unique uh, species. They're humans that have become mutated. You are correct. You are correct. Oh, oh, oh look at me, boys. Score one for me. Okay, so uh, now another one that's on here that kind of piques my interest is the Great Convention. I'm, you know what? It's been long enough that since I've read the book last, I don't know what that refers to. I, I would imagine it refers to the emperor and his consortium, but I'm not sure. So uh, here on Wikipedia, it says it's a universal truce enforced under the power balance maintained by the guild, the great houses and the Imperium. Its chief rule prohibits the use of atomic weapons against human targets. Yeah. Yes. And this is this, I think, is what um, leads to the emperor sort of conniving to destroy House Atreides uh, using intrigue and assassination rather than power and dominance. Well, yeah, because there's that pact. He can't attack them outright. But if he can get these two factions to fight against themselves, well, yeah. he, his hands are clean. Um, and there won't be this gigantic war. Um, which, again, that leads, that's kind of the fantastic thing within the story here is you have this emperor that is worried that one of these factions is going to get so powerful that they're going to destroy him. He knows that they're very powerful houses. And so in his own way to not only follow the, the letter of the law that he has established, he's found a way to have these two factions pretty much take care of themselves so that he can remain in power. Uh, it's manipulative, it's cunning, it's devious, and it's just amazing. But because he overlooked something as simple as the prophecy, he actually put into play or, or tipped the dominoes to create and fulfill that said prophecy. Had he not done that, I don't think we'd have the same uh, hero stories we do have. Which again, agreed. You know, Frank. Herbert did a fantastic job with that um, because had the Baron never attacked, you know, things wouldn't have got started out and fallen down the path they did. Okay. Uh, now I've only got a few left and I've got one in particular that I want to save for the end. So uh, we'll move on. But uh, uh, Mentats. 
Oh my gosh, I love the Mentats. Mentats are human computers. There is a certain uh, liquid called the juice of Safu. And uh, this is another mind-quickening fluid. Uh, Mentats are easily identifiable by the stain on their lips because this juice is sort of like a, a dark plumish color. And when you drink it, it stains your skin with that purple juice color. It's a very purplish um, sort of hue. And uh, but that juice allows them to clear their mind, quicken their mind, and they are walking, talking human computational devices. They're not androids. They are humans. This goes back to the power in Dune is the power of the mind. And Mentats uh, serve as all of your all of your scholarly needs, right? Like they they are um, academics. They are computations. They are um, sort of analytics. They are walking, talking computers. Yes. Cool. Uh, here's an here's an easy one. This is one that we referenced earlier, but we want to make sure. Uh, sandworm. Ha. Mm. We've already kind of talked about those a bit, right? We yeah. Have. You know, uh, it's simple. Giant worm lives under the sand. Everyone's afraid of them. Cool. And yet somehow the hero of our story ends up writing them. He harnesses their power. In fact, on yeah. the planet of Arrakis, there is a tribal people known as the Fremen. Uh, notice how the name Fremen is very close to free men or free man. Um, but uh, the Fremen uh, have survived on Arrakis through impossible odds. They have their secrets. They're very tribal. They worship the worms. They respect the worms. And there's one specifically that they hold, that they hold aloft as almost like a god. He's the largest of the sandworms, and his name is Shai Halud. Uh, Paul, as he becomes Usul and ultimately the Kwisatz Heterak, or oh, and Muad'Dib. Paul has like four names, but anyway, uh, as he becomes Muad'Dib and uh, the Kwisatz Heterak, uh, Dan's right. He learns to harness the sandworms like like war mounts and he rides them into battle and it's freaking epic cool okay i have one two three four left for you the first which is one that uh uh many people may already have some colloquial understanding of but thopters also known as ornithopters ornithopters yep um, these are flying vehicles where the modality of flight is inspired by nature and, and mostly insects. Um, they tend to take an almost dragonfly or cicada-like shape. And uh, what I like about the ornithopters in Dune is, uh, I don't know if, uh, if we looked up the history of the ornithopter, maybe we could find something. Maybe even if you look at Leonardo da Vinci, he had some flying designs that were ornithopter-ish. Um, but in terms of like, concrete concept of what that flying device is. Dune was the first time I'd ever seen something like that, not just in the movie, but in the book. Um, and uh, I thought it was brilliant. I think it's been copied many, many times since. Yeah. Uh, uh, minor thing, just because I know somebody out there is going to be tap, tap, tapping away. Uh -huh. uh, ornithology is the study of birds, specifically flighted creatures. So... Uh, there we go. Uh, War of Assassins. 
Yeah, um, it's interesting. In the book, they talk about the art of can or the law, the rules of Canley uh, in the old tongue vendetta. Uh, and so, like in this book, you will find that things that we easily identify with have new names and new terminology in the world of Dune, which makes sense as as cultures evolve, terminology evolves, language evolves, and so. What they call Canley uh, is in the old tongue Vendetta. We understand what Vendetta is. Uh, the the War of Assassins, I'm not super clear on, but I know that the Mentat that is uh, serving the House Harkonnen is um, one of the – oh, no, no, no. Excuse me. It's Thufur Hawat. Uh, Thufur, who is the Mentat in House Atreides, is a, is a master of assassins. And that's as much of it as I know. Um, I never, I never got deep into the um, sort of like the mythos or the history of the War of Assassins. Yeah, same. Okay. Here. Yeah. So uh, what it says on here, and this will be something fun for me to read, is a regulated form of warfare between noble houses intended to quote reduce involvement of innocent bystanders close mm. quote. The rules require open quote formal declarations of intent and restrict permissible weapons close quote. It may See, I find that fascinating. Up. I wish I knew that. I, I find that fascinating. It totally fits into the world, and it totally fits into the narrative. I wish I, – I, I would read more about that. I would read that story. Well, I will begin reading Dune soon, and then we can have a uh, – uh, uh, I don't know what we'd call have it, a, a post-mortem. Club. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> okay, I got two more for you, uh, one that is a precursor to the other. So, uh, Reverend Mother. <gasps> Dan, do you no, want to run no, with no. this? I just have to say, this is easy. Just watch the movie. The <laughs> Reverend Mother will make all sense. It really will. It really will. It, we, um, we will never be able to do justice to the Reverend Mother. So go watch the movie. Yeah, I could I could get behind that. Um, the, the tidbit, the short bit, is the Bene Gesserit witches that I mentioned earlier. They are an organization of women who have learned to harness psychic-like powers. They have a tool known as the voice, which uh, creates compulsion. If they use the voice, it compels you. And they view men, specifically the gender of man, um, the male gender, as animals that they can control. Uh, and uh, that's one of the things that makes the Bene Gesserit, which is so powerful. But they have, all, they have um, a number of sort of subtle... Uh, unexplained psychic power. They have the, the and and these witches. To, to get to your point, um, and and they call them witches in the book. I'm not I'm not being I'm not being um, insulting. They're actually referred to as witches in the book, and uh, they the, at the head of this order, at the head of this group of women, is the Reverend Mother, and she is as terrifying. And and uh, powerful a character as any warmonger or tyrant in any other story. Okay, I'm excited about that. Um, but uh, 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 this is this is one that you know I the the final one I want to hit to. If there wasn't already good information indicating that this book was written in <laughs> the '60s. Uh, Hopefully this one will seal it for you. (laughs) 
gentlemen, I desperately need to know uh, for research purposes only. Hypnobong? <laughs> you know what? I don't have an answer for that. I say read the books. <laughs> <laughs> Stay in school, kids. Don't do drugs. I know, just, I'm not even going to try to attempt it. Um... So here's, you know, it's, here's... it's it's well it's well stated by a number of people, and I don't know how true yeah. this is, but the thing is, I would believe it. Um, that Frank Herbert was definitely into recreational chemical usage yes. of of various flavors, and as he wrote more books, um, the books became sort of like uh, more tenuous. They became uh, more uh, far-reaching and harder to understand, and eventually it becomes like spaghetti, and it's very, very difficult to follow. Uh, but a lot of people, including his own son, who ended up like finishing the the manuscripts and the books for him, um, stated that his dad was on a lot of drugs a lot of the time. Oh, I 100% believe it. Having just scrolled through the entirety of the Wikipedia article, <laughs> Glossary of Dune open parenthesis franchise, close parenthesis terminology, uh, easily 20% of that list of glossary is, oh yeah, it's a drug. Oh yeah, it's a drug. Oh yeah, it's a yeah. way to imbibe a drug. Oh, this is yeah. a drug, but it's illegal now. Juice oh, of Sefu, <laughs> melange and spice. I mean, everything's a drug. <laughs> and everything expands the mind. But nevertheless, gentlemen, I do appreciate you indulging me for a moment here. I do appreciate your help in guiding me through the universe, or at least beginning to send me on my path. I promise that I'm not going to go away and do recreational drugs and show up <laughs> next week and tell you the book that I've written. But nevertheless, I do hope that in a few short weeks, we'll be able to digest perhaps what I have consumed. Uh, and uh, following the film coming out, I think it would be entirely appropriate for us to do a postmortem and decide Absolutely. whether or not it passes the muster. Alton, before before we call it quits, though, there is one more highly valuable quote that I we would be remiss if we didn't talk about. Okay, shoot me. Um, when, when I read Ender's Game, when I read Ender's Game, the reason that book means so much to me is because there was a brief moment in that book that changed the way I saw the world. Specifically, it changed the way I saw conflict in the world. Um, in the in the book Ender's Game, spoilers, in the book Ender's Game, Ender at a very, very young, tender age, I think he was only like, I think he was less than eight years old, I think he was six, he gets in a fight with three boys who are like ten, and he realizes because of who he is and, and the education he's received, he realizes that he can't just beat the leader, the leader bully, he can't just win that fight, he, he takes it way beyond, way beyond the point he should have stopped. And a military man comes to him and starts interviewing him about the fight. And he asks him, he goes, why did you do that? You won the fight. Why did you do that? Uh, why, why did you keep going? And Ender responds, this is not verbatim, but Ender responds with, I wasn't trying to win that fight. I was trying to win all the fights in the future. And it blew my freaking mind. And it changed the way I saw the world. In Dune, there is a mantra that Paul recites in his mind as he's being physically and painfully tested by the Reverend Mother. And that mantra is, I must not fear. 
Fear is the mind killer. Fear is the little death that brings total obliteration. I will face my fear. I will permit it to pass over me and through me. And when it has gone past, I will turn the inner eye to see its path. Where the fear has gone, there will be nothing. Only I will remain. And he says this over and over again. Now, in the movie, they shorten it. And they just keep it to, I must not fear. Fear is the mind killer. Uh, I will face my fear. I will allow it to pass through me. And when it is gone, only I will remain. And he says that over and over again. Growing up as a child who was small and bullied and made to fear a lot of the time, when I finally came across this, I found that this gave me great power and great courage in times when I normally would be terrified. I think wow. this, this quote is one of the things that endears Dune to me to this day. I love it. Thank you so much for sharing. And uh, Dan, I think I'm just about done squeezing the juice out of this lemon. But uh, Safu juice. Yeah, excuse me. Um, <laughs> is that another drug? I'm sorry. I, the juice of Safu. I, I, I'm just going to assume anything that you say from now on. Everything's a drug. To, it's, it's a drug. It's a drug. But, uh, <laughs> but uh, nevertheless, I do appreciate you both for indulging me this evening. I look forward to joining you on the other side of this journey. Yeah, no. Uh, you will be surprised. It, it, when watching the older film, you know, realize the period it was filmed in. Um, that film definitely, as long as the writing is good on the new film, will not be, you won't be able to compare them equally just because, you know, CGI and all the, the technology we have and we can do now. But what I hope for this new film is it will be as good or close to good as that original film. And if they can, if they can harness that film's energy and not the, the miniseries energy, I think we will have a fantastic film and we will walk out of there just, you know, flabbergasted and not know what to say, which is my hope for the film because it is, it's worth it. It is a series that deserves a good film to be done you know the cast they have looks fantastic the trailer amazing I saw, cast the, the trailer i saw i'm not it hasn't given me a lot of hope but that's okay it was a small trailer but i'm hopefully optimistic that they're hitting all the right notes because i know the quality of actors they have there and i know that they want to hit it right because that miniseries really kind of killed uh this series for a while well, it has been almost four decades since the original film. A lot has changed, a lot of new techniques, a lot of new styles of both writing and editing. So uh, we'll see what we can do. Yeah. All right, folks. Well, that's it. We are done. We have reached the end. Maybe you got some spice out of this. Maybe you didn't. Maybe, <laughs> just maybe, you learned something new. Maybe you didn't, and we're just entertained by our talking about this. Or maybe it shut the the, uh, the episode off a while ago and said, I'm going to listen to this later. Who knows? I really hope you didn't do that, that last one. <laughs> but tune in next week because we, we, we always love bringing you a new ep a topic to talk about. We always love being here. So with that said, we'll catch you next time. And just, you know, whatever happens, tell your story, whatever may come. And just like Shy Halud, be epic, don't suck. Remember, the Force will be with you, always.